0: Life, Her, Life, Podcast. Hey, Her is me, her is you. Her is us, her is she, her is we. United we stand, baby,
1: that hurt for keeps. I'm coming and I demand my space. I know it's free. I owe myself the world. They tried to count me out. ladies. This is Life Her Podcast, Yvette Lloyd. I have Thea with me here. Hey, Thea. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, sis? I am doing good, girl, on this Saturday.
0: (laughs) Yes, Yes. it's, it's a nice Saturday. It's beautiful.
1: Yes. So I read so much about you, and I want to tell you that I am proud of you. I admire your strength. I admire your courage, and even the fact that you just keep going constantly, no matter what obstacles that come across you in your life. I applaud you for being that example for women like us all over the world. Thank you. Thank you, sis. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I truly appreciate it. Yes. So I want to take it all the way back to your childhood. What was it like growing up? Oh, my I'm going to go back as far as I can remember,
0: you know, I had grandparents that truly loved me. I was the apple of their eye. I was the only um, child, the only grandchild, the only great niece. So, you know, from a child coming up, I did get a lot of attention from them and just a lot of love being poured on me. Um, My mom, um, well, let me go back first. We, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. My parents were married and they divorced when I was a baby and daddy was around until the age of eight. Now, between the time I was born and the age of eight, my mom was a single mother. So, you know, a lot of times my grandparents had me when they didn't have me, I was at a babysitter, you know, because my mom was working. Um, And so We ended up, we were living in uh, Eastern York in the projects and I had a babysitter who lived downstairs and I ended up getting molested at the age of, I believe it was like five or six from my babysitter's boyfriend. Um, And that was the first time that I experienced having to go to court, you know, to testify. He did go to prison and, and he did time. But fast forward, you know, my mom ended up getting married when I was eight years old to my sister's dad, who was in the Navy. And we moved to Florida, Orlando, Florida. And I can say that he was a good dad. I mean, he treated me, he didn't treat me like I was his stepdaughter, but he was abusive. He was abusive to my mom. He drank a lot. And it seemed like every time he got drunk, he, you know, became violent with her. So from the age of eight until the age of, I think it was like 13 or 14, I witnessed my mom being abused. But during that time, And after my grandparents found out about it, they used to send me, fly me back and forth twice a year back home to Brooklyn to kind of get me away from it a little. And so mom ended up leaving him. I was in junior high school. And from that point, it seemed like she just struggled because we moved from place to place. I ended up having my oldest son at 14 and I end up having him from someone who I grew up with. Our families were very close. Um, so I, I became a teen mom at 14. I even experienced my mom putting me in a facility for, and it kind of, it reminded me honestly of, thank God I've never been to prison or anything like that, but the way it was set up, it felt like I was, it, it just, you know, there was, um, we couldn't go anywhere. We, you know, the place was, uh, um, there was like uh, brick walls around the building. You know, we went to school in there. We went to counseling with did all of that stuff. But I stayed in there for about three months. It was like a facility for children that had behavior issues or had some type of psychological stuff going on. I didn't understand and didn't even know that she was taking me there. So one day I got in the car, she picked me up from school and um, she said, I'm taking you somewhere. And I said, where am I going? And we get to the, the facility and she leaves me there. And so, you know, here I am in this place. I don't know anybody and I'm, you know, getting counseling and the counselors are trying to figure out why did she even bring me to this facility? So, um, I experienced that for three months and then fast forward, you know, I ended up getting pregnant with my oldest son. And when he turned three months old, we ended up moving back home to Brooklyn. My mom still, you know, we were unstable. We were bouncing around, you know, from place to place um, until she ended up getting housing in Staten Island. And that's when I started seeing my mom, she she was doing drugs. She would leave us days. You know, it would be me, my son and my sister. I became a built-in babysitter and she would go for days. You know, she would call me and say, look out the window. She's coming home in a yellow cab and I'll be up two or three in the morning. She never showed up. It was days we didn't have no food. My baby didn't have pampers. My grandparents had to come from Brooklyn to help. And I experienced that for a good little while until I ended up leaving and went and stayed with some friends. But Fast forward that, I ended up in foster care, and I was in foster care for about six months. And then I ended up getting out of foster care. I had to send my son to North Carolina. My mom had to move to North Carolina. So I had to send my son, he was two at the time, to North Carolina. Um, and I stayed with my grandparents to finish school. And that was a challenge for me because I missed my child, you know, and really couldn't focus like I wanted to because I didn't have my baby with me. but. I was able to, you know, to complete school. Um, and so fast forward after after I finished school, I ended up moving to North Carolina with my boyfriend at the time. And we stayed down there with, with my mom for maybe two months. And then she ended up getting put out. So we ended up going back to New York and I was living literally from pillow to pillow. Sometimes I was riding the train because I had nowhere to go. And that lasted for a few months until my youngest son's grandmother took me to EAU in the Bronx. EAU stands for Emergency Assistance Unit. And I stayed there for three nights and four days in this humongous room with people from all walks of life. There was no beds and nothing. So we sat on these hard chairs you know, for the time frame that we were there until they found us a place, a shelter to go. And so with that, I ended up bouncing from one shelter. They moved me from one to the other, to the other. The fourth shelter was in Staten Island, which was, you know, away from Brooklyn, where I was from. And I stayed there for a year. I was the youngest mother in the entire shelter. That was a challenge, but it also taught me how to be structured, because we had, you know, inspections, room inspections. We had to get up for class, different things like that. But I definitely had to stand my ground as a young mom, you know, because I was the youngest. All of these women, I'm talking old enough to be my mom, some of some of them. And so I ended up getting Section 8 after a year. Um, I had gotten pregnant with my daughter. So I ended up getting sex, Section 8. And then after a year, I got my own apartment. I was you know, confused, lost, didn't understand what paying a light bill or gas bill was or a phone bill. You know, I was totally lost, but I was also glad that I had my own apartment. And right. so I lived two blocks from my grandparents, which was a great thing. And I stayed there for a year and then was convinced by my mom and my paternal grandmother to move to North Carolina again. <laughs> so I ended up moving to North Carolina. And when I moved, I was pregnant with my third child. I had already had my daughter a month after I moved into my apartment. But I ended up getting pregnant with my third child when I moved to North Carolina. So I moved there, and I had Section H. So I ended up getting my first place, which which was a house. Didn't have no driver's license, so I didn't know how to drive. Had to depend on my mom. Had to depend on neighbors. Friends who ever to get me to and from. And that was a struggle because me and my mom didn't have the best relationship. And she had a husband who didn't like her to, you know, be there for me and my kids like a mother should have. And so I struggled. It was very hard for me. I ended up getting my first job, which was doing data entry. Didn't know anything about typing. And one of the requirements was that you type 25 words a minute. And I remember being fearful because about not getting the job because I knew I couldn't type. But God made a way. I still was able to start working. And I worked there for about six months. And I don't remember if I got fired or they let me go. I think they let me go because I was late a lot. I had to take taxi cabs and stuff and I was late a lot. So they ended up letting me go. And so I ended up on welfare. I was getting food stamps. I was getting Medicaid. I was getting the cash benefits. And with Section 8, I was only, you know, paying maybe $50 a month rent. But I wanted more. You know, I wasn't comfortable getting that little couple hundred dollars, you know, um, And so I had a caseworker, and I'll never forget her. She really, really blessed me and my kid's life. But I went to her. She called me in the office one day, and she said, there's a company coming in town called Singular Wireless, which is now AT&T, that I want you to go to the interview. It's through a temp agency. And I said, well, I, you know, I can't type like the you know the requirement she said don't worry about it because what guy asked for you is for you so i went to the interview and i got hired i was making nine dollars an hour um and i was just so excited and i said to her well now that i got the job how am i going to get there do i have to keep depending on these taxi cabs you know they're going to you know, i was concerned and so she said you don't worry about that what i want you to do is go get your driver's license and i said get my driver's license like i don't know how to drive And so she said, just go get your driver's license. So my mom wouldn't take me, but her best friend took me. And I went the first day. I took the, you know, the written test. I I didn't pass, but she took me back the next day and I passed. And then the third day I went and took the, the road test and I passed and I got my driver's license. So I was really excited about that. And so I went back to my caseworker. Just, I mean, really excited, and I said, Ms. Rodriguez, I got my driver's license. You know, she said, um, I have something to share with you, and I said, okay. She said, There's an organization called Operation Blessing, and they're blessing you with your first vehicle. And I for- I never forget sitting inside her cube, and I just started crying. And she said, wow. They're paying me registration. You know, they're they're um. Your registration. Um, they're doing all all of that stuff for you. It was a nineteen eighty eight grand Marquis. And let me tell you this, I when I say that was the best thing that could have happened to me. I no longer had to worry about how I was gonna get to work or how I was gonna get, you know, to the doctors or going grocery shopping or any of that. Right. And so here I am now with my car, with my job, my driver's license. I start working at Singular. And everything is going well in that aspect. And it came February, it's time to file those taxes. I didn't know nothing about filing taxes, <laughs> and my mom, I was like, "What do you mean you get money back?" Like I,
1: right? I didn't
0: know nothing about it. So my mom, she she uh, educated me, and I went and filed my taxes, and I I don't remember. I think I got like four or five thousand dollars, but I took three thousand of it and put down on me a new car and I ended up getting me a Cadillac DeVille with that black cloth top. (laughs) (laughs) And and let me tell you, listen, all I seen was a car, you know, I didn't pay attention to no black cloth top and no Cadillac. (laughs) What was that supposed to mean to me? I knew that I wanted a new car.
1: Point A and point B.
0: Right. and, And I would, people were, trying to buy my car from me. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? What's so elaborate about this car? <laughs> but I was able to get I was able to get, you know, that vehicle um and it it carried me a, a long way. Um but in the process of all of that, um I ended up letting my youngest son's dad back into my life and that's something I didn't share. I experienced a little bit of domestic violence when I was 17. I met him when he was incarcerated. Um, so let, me,
1: at the- let me rewind. Mm-hmm. Let me rewind back a little bit from from just starting from your childhood. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was how how did it come about as far as your sexual abuser going to jail? Like, what when did that? Did you tell That's someone it. that it happened?
0: Mm hmm So I remember, like, it was yesterday. My babysitter was doing my hair. My mom came to pick me up, and she wasn't done. So my mother said, when you finish braiding her hair, bring her upstairs. My babysitter said, okay. She finished my hair, and instead of her bringing me upstairs, she asked her boyfriend to. And he proceeded to take me upstairs. Instead of taking me in the elevator, I guess where he knows, You know, we would have gotten upstairs quicker. He took me in the staircase. Two flights before I got to, before we got to my floor, he uh, proceeded to molest me, put his hands down in my pants and, you know, and touched me. As he was doing it, he was telling me, I better not tell my mom. I better not tell anybody. But now that I got older and I, you know, I remember I'm thinking about it, like the crazy thing was, after you do this, you really, I guess he thought I wasn't going to say anything, so he proceeded to take me upstairs. And my mom, she was the type of mother that, you know, taught me, you know, if somebody touched me or did something inappropriate to let her know. And so she opened the door. And when she opened that door, I started
1: talking, wow. and I said,
0: "Mommy, mommy, he touched me. He touched me." And she said, "What do you mean he touched you?" I said, "He touched me. He touched me where you said somebody's not supposed to touch me." And my mother started screaming, and I remember she grabbed the guy like and. He ended up calling the cop, they came, his mother came, my grandparents came, my uncle and my aunt came, and it was a big mess. They arrested him and I had to go to court and testify. And I was this little girl. All I remember seeing was like the people and and like the, the wood, the brown wood inside of the courtroom. And I had to testify and say what that guy had did to me. And um he that's how he ended up going to prison. He was found guilty and he went to prison. My uncle I didn't my uncle told me recently how much time he got for doing it. And he's got, he got a few years for it. Wow. I didn't even remember his name, but my uncle did. And he told me recently what his name was, but that, you know, that was the beginning of, to me, the abuse. Cause that was sexual right. abuse. But then right. going into like watching my mom, you know, that became this learned behavior and, my dad had went on, you know, with his family, with another family. So, you know, I hear two different stories as to why he wasn't there. But this is the guy, my stepdad, is who was showing me and teaching me how a woman supposed to be treated by the way he was treating my mom. And so I ended up at the age of 16. I met my youngest son's dad through his best friend and he was incarcerated. And I was 16, he was 28. And my mom said if he wasn't incarcerated, she would have pressed charges for statutory rape. But I dated him the whole time. I would go back and forth to the prison, you know, all of that kind of thing. And when he came home, I experienced a little bit of abuse from him and I was pregnant with my daughter. And I ended up, he went back to prison and that was the end of it. And I moved, when I moved to North Carolina, I kept in contact with his mom, the family, because I was best friends with his cousin. And so one day I called her and she said, he yeah, I came home and he had been looking for me. And I think at that stage in my life, I probably was tired of dating and wanted to settle down. And for whatever reason, I listened to him when he said, oh, he changed, you know, this and this. I listened to him. So I let him back in my life. Um. So he moved from New York to North Carolina, and things seemed to be going well at the beginning. But then I started seeing the change behavior. He started controlling me. Um, He started being verbally abusive and emotionally abusive, and I experienced some mental abuse as well. And that carried on until after I had my youngest son. After I had my youngest son from him, he became physical. And what he did was he used the fact that me and my mother didn't have a close relationship. Mm. So he used that as a clutch. So he was always telling me my family don't love me. My friends are not truly friends. They were jealous of me, all of these things. And so he basically manipulated me, had my mind. I was brainwashed and I started believing these things. and. I felt like at this point, he was the only person that loved me, didn't realize that it wasn't love, you know? And so I was going on with life and, and with him and dealing with all of this stuff. And, you know, the physical just kept getting worse to the point one time, you know, he was strangling me and I couldn't even scream. I couldn't even get to scream out. And I felt then that my life was going. And I know that it was nobody but God to have him release, release his hands off my neck because as I have seen him, I can see it looked like his eyes were getting big as he was strangling me, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I just felt like I was going. I put in and I tried just like the scream help, and it wouldn't come out. I know it was nobody but God to have him remove those hands off my neck because I wouldn't be here today. But I've
1: I've ex- you know experienced a lot. I mean, yeah, you have. Did you go to counseling or anything like that over time? like in between each traumatic experience that you have had? Yeah. So when I was in foster
0: care, I had counseling. Before I got pregnant with my last son, I went to counseling. And then I went to some counseling right after in 2000, well, was it 2013? Because I got out of that domestic violence relationship. I was in it for nine years. So I got out of it in 2012, 2013, I started counseling. So I started that healing process. But what pushed me to get out of that relationship was because my children had started sleeping with knives under their pillow and they were planning on doing something for him.
1: Oh, and
0: man. I knew then, you know, okay, this is, I can't allow this for my, for something I chose to do.
1: How old were they?
0: My oldest was 14 or 15, I think. So 15, cause I have five children. So 15, 11, Or twelve no, I think my daughter was twelve. And then it was ten, nine, and then the youngest one was like six. My youngest son was like six years old or something like that. It was the estimate. But I had a friend who became my husband and he helped us get out of that situation. He ended up moving us into a townhouse. We didn't stay there very long before we moved to Fort Stewart to the military base because he was in the army. But I didn't give myself time to heal, and this is why I tell women and men, when you're in a domestic violence situation or any toxic relationship and you get out of it, you need to give yourself time to heal because if you don't, you're going to end up in another relationship and you're going to become toxic, and I was dealing with trust issues, self-esteem issues. I'm trying to heal from this toxic relationship, but The new guy is trying to love me trying to show me that all men are not the same you know um making sure me and my kids were taken care of you know telling me to either go to school or work he he didn't pressure me you know to get a job or do any of that stuff and because I was so used to working and going to school and taking care of my household I couldn't accept that so I wanted to do everything what do you mean stay home what do you mean you know, I didn't like, what are you talking about? You know, I didn't accept it. So even that was an issue for me because I was used to being independent. Right. So I had self-esteem issues because I was so used to being beaten down. So when he would compliment me, when he would deliver roses or do different things, like it just, I, I just looked like it was foreign to me. So I had that, I had trust issues. I was always telling him he was cheating or thinking he was cheating. So I became the toxic one, and we stayed married for um, almost five years before he left because he got out the military. We moved to Nellville, Georgia, which is north of Atlanta, and everything was going, you know, we were living our life, and um, we ended up becoming homeless and had to move to a Motel 6. In the Motel 6, he ended up walking out. Literally, he left and, and went to Texas, and that was the last that I saw him. So it was a combination of things, you know, not just that, but other things that, you know, caused him to um, to leave. But I try to tell people, you know, don't, don't jump into another relationship. Give yourself time to heal because you're going to become the toxic one, and it could be a good guy or good woman for you. Really? You know, but because you're toxic, you can cause that person to to just want to throw in the towel. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't the reason, the main reason why he left, but it was a combination of things from both of us. I learned later that he was cheating on me. So at some point, you know, it was accurate what I was feeling. But, you know, I had to go through, after going through all of that and just you know, with the domestic violence part, just um going through surviving and healing and you know, eventually overcoming, I knew that if I can do that, you know, if I can do it, then surely, you know, someone else someone else can too. And I wanted to be one of those vessels because I understood I've been on that side, you know, and so that's when I that's when I found Scargo Survival Incorporated. In 2016, and then fast forward in 2018, I had the vision about Scars of Survival magazine, Um, but I didn't launch it or I didn't release my first publication until last year in June. Okay. So that's how you know the organization and the magazine came about. Cutie Patooties Gift Boutique came about in 2000 we were still military I think it was like 2014 um I didn't get the partnership with Walmart until I was living in the motel Sig, literally
1: yeah I had saw that I was going to ask you about that experience when you started diaper cake making
0: yes
1: yes so so could you tell me about how did you even get started in that yes so it was in, I think it was 2014. Me and my husband at the time were
0: driving from, I think it was uh, Jessup. I want to say it was somewhere. We were driving from somewhere and I was just Google searching I uh, creative ideas or gift-giving ideas or something and diaper cakes came up. And so I said, what is this? Like, this is very unique. And I said, I wonder how you can make these. And so I ended up watching a video. It was an Asian lady who was, she was creating her own diaper cake and I watched her and I said, this is really different. I said, but what can I do to make it more different? So I went and got the material and I tried it and became good at it and started adding my own little touches to it. I ended up setting up um, on eBay and didn't realize how many orders I was going to get. And it became very overwhelming. Um, And so I ended up taking down the eBay, but I would still seem like the go-to, the go-to wife, you know, in that, in the military community, because a lot of the mother, a lot of the wives, they were coming to me to make diaper cakes and tutus. I started doing tutus also. So I did that. You know, until we end up, he got out the the military and we moved back to this end of Georgia. So I stopped diaper caking. I stopped making tutus and tutu dresses for a while. And then um, I picked it back up once I, I ended up getting the publicist because I had a whole different vision that wasn't even to have an organization. Um, mm-hmm. But I picked it back up and I started diaper caking again. Um, and making towel cakes and then when we ended up in the motel six i had already thought when i first started like why why is this not inside of the stores like something like this and i said it would be cool to see it in walmart or target or something like that so i in when we ended up in the motel six i was at the computer one day and i was you know browsing on walmart's website And I don't know if I went to supplier something, I went somewhere and it asked me to enter my business information and everything. And I submitted it, not knowing that I was going to be contacted a couple of days later by email. And they contacted me and they said, you know, welcome. We would like for you to be a supplier, you know, um, upload your product and, negotiate pricing and all that kind of stuff and that was the beginning of the partnership with walmart
1: with wow that's a blessing
0: it, it was and i literally said like i literally was in the motel six diaper caking i was literally fedex and ups would come to the hotel and pick up the packages and i oh, did it for a whole entire the whole time i was there Wow. And I never let my situation get me down. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a car in the Motel 6. You, I literally didn't allow my situation to to
1: keep me down. I kept on pushing and pushing. I didn't stop. Wow. So what advice, after everything that you've been through in life, what advice do you have for women to just keep going and not let their pain define them and it's okay to cry and release absolutely so
0: for me i've learned first and foremost you know to put god try to put god first in all that you do um and i know that can be a challenge when we're going through things because we don't understand but know that there's a reason for it all Whether you realize it at that time or God shows you later, there's always a a reason for everything. So I say to trust the process. Know that what you're going through is not for you. It's to help the next person. I didn't ask to go through what I went through, but it's now allowing me to be one of those vessels to help someone else that's going through the same thing or not the same thing. Know that it's okay to cry. It is okay. It's it's better to cry than to do something else. You know what I'm saying? So if you got to let it out, let it out. It's it's fine. Um, that actually, in my opinion, helps to re- to you know relieve some things when you do cry. Um, find somebody trusting that you can talk to, whether it's an organization or a family member or a friend. Find someone that. You know it's going to be non-judgmental in your situation and know that you're not alone. There's so many people in this world who have experienced so many things, although a lot of us have gone through things silently, but there's somebody in this world that's going through so know that you're not alone. If you're in a domestic violence situation, you can always call um the domestic violence hotline. They are very resourceful. They will connect you with the right resource based on what you tell them that you're needed. Um, And I know that because my organization is registered with them, so it is accurate. They will connect callers with with the right resource. Um, So the help is there, but out of everything, and then share your story. When you get to that point that you're comfortable, share your story. Because it's not just healing for yourself, but it's also healing for other people. It's almost like when you're in a situation, right, and Mm -hmm. you're feeling so overwhelmed, you just want to vent to somebody. You just got to let it out. So you go vent to to whoever you trust. And when you vent, you feel a sense of relief. It's the same thing with sharing your story. You know, this stuff is built up. So you're speaking about it, you know, or you're sharing it in an a article, or whatever, however, which way you want to do it. But sharing your story is healing, not just for you, but for someone else as well. So I also recommend that people do that too. And don't give up. Don't give up. Know that there is a time and a place for everything. And it's in God's time, not ours. And we have to remember that we think we know what's best for us. God is the only one that truly knows what's best for us. So we must
1: trust his process. Have you ever experienced getting upset with God? And what advice do you have to people? Because sometimes when you go through different hardships in life, especially things that were so traumatic of the things you've been through, Um, What advice do you have to women that are listening that gave up on God and don't even want to put their trust in him no more because they're so angry at him for even letting them go through something like that?
0: Some of the situations that we go through, some of them, I can honestly say that we, some of them we haven't put ourselves in that situation and some of them we could have prevented the situation. So when we, when we when we think about it, you know, it's not, you can't blame God for something that, and, and don't get me wrong, I understand some people, some people, we didn't ask to go and, you know, be put in a domestic violence situation. But the situations that we could have prevented on our own, we can't blame God for that. Like, how can you blame God for something that, You see what I'm saying? That you put yourself into or you allowed yourself to get into. You can't blame God. It wasn't God that it wasn't God that told you to do it. You know, we still have common sense in some situations. God gives us common sense and in in those situations that we didn't ask to put that we that we put ourselves into. Now the other situations like domestic violence, you know, those type of situations that we didn't ask, we didn't ask for somebody to abuse us, but we still can't, you can't blame God because at the end of the day, some of these things, and like I said, had to happen for us to be able to help someone else. And I know it might seem like, why would God want us to, why would God want us to go through this? Or, you know, why would he want his, Son or daughter to experience domestic violence or experience this traumatic situation, you know again, why not us? Why not us because how how is the next person that is going through gonna be able to get gonna have hope? how are they gonna have hope, and how are they gonna be encouraged, and how are they gonna be inspired if they don't have someone there that has gone through similar situations or not the same situation you know so we don't need to be blaming God. We need to understand that. Why not us, first of all? And it happened for a reason. And that reason is so that we can be able to, again, help someone else. It's just like when we go through a traumatic situation and we go to counseling. A lot of people don't like to go to counseling because right. they feel like a counselor can't relate to what they've gone through. Right. So think about that situation. Now, you don't want to go to counseling because you feel like the counselor can't relate. But then your sister or brother over here, they can relate. But they can relate to you because the situation was allowed to happen. You get what I'm saying? So we can't blame God and say, God, why did you you do this? Why did you allow this? I can't believe it. So and so, you know, we don't need to blame God at the end of the day, and and I'm just being truthful, we got to thank God for even those situations that we don't understand. And I didn't understand it when I was coming up. My grandmother used to tell me, be grateful for the things, the good and the things that you feel like is not good, because there's a reason for it all. It might've just saved you from a situation. You, you just never know.
1: So right.
0: you get in the habit of thanking God for good times, but We don't get in the habit of thinking God for those times that don't seem good and we need to.
1: So after everything that you've been through, what is the greatest gift that you have today after overcoming so much? My life. Yes. My life.
0: Being able to wake up to see another day and to continue to be a vessel. To continue to walk in my God-given purpose, and if I can just impact one life, I feel great. I feel great.
1: Wow! Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. So how can how can nice. women get in contact with you for more advice, more guidance, or even coaching, anything?
0: So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can reach me at on both platforms. Is author A U T H O R, Sathya S A T H Y A calendar C A L L E N D E R. Um, also, you can contact me on Facebook and Instagram on Scars of Survival Incorporated. Um, that is Scars S C A R S of Survival S U R V I V A L. You can also contact me on Scars of Survival Magazine's platform, which is on Facebook and Instagram. And then my email is Sapia S-A-T Tom H Y A. Calendar C A L L E N as in Nancy, D as and David E R at Gmail.com. And my website, which is com. Okay.
1: Thank you so much. And what advice do you want to give someone to even just continue on pushing into life and loving themselves daily?
0: I want to say this. Self-love is the best love.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: cannot and should not expect someone to love you and to love someone else if you don't love you first. It starts with you. Take time out to get pampered, whether it's going to a spa, whether it's getting your nails and feet done, your hair done, your eyebrows done, a make makeover, a makeover, whatever you need to do to pamper yourself. Take time out to do that. Yes. Set a little time aside to read reading is good on all different levels reading is is something that we should be incorporating daily pray make sure you take time out to pray that's very important that's actually the first thing we should be doing when we get up and the last thing before we go to bed at night is praying that also needs to be incorporated in your daily activities R- journaling i would suggest journaling is also you know um taking time out whatever's on your mind just taking time out to write it down. I would also suggest that, you know, suggest that too. I wouldn't say watching TV. I don't watch TV, believe it or not. I don't watch TV at all. So, so some people say, how do you not watch TV? I I don't, I just don't watch TV like that. But those are some of the things that I would suggest, you know, and, and as far as if you're not, if you don't know what your purpose is, I would suggest you praying and really praying and ask God to give you guidance Because that's how I was able to find out what my purpose was, is to really seek God and ask him to give you guidance. What is it that you're here for? What does he want you to do? So that you can know, because we're all here for a reason. We're not here just to be here. I don't believe that. We're all here for a reason. We all have a purpose. So we need to stop. You don't want to live just to be living. You see what I'm saying? You don't mm-hmm. want to live just to be living. You want to live for a purpose.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. you um, I'm so happy that you even... Express so much that transpired in your life, and you actually saved the life. Once a woman get to hear this, because you know sometimes we think we are the only ones, and now something is connected to you, just even by listening to this.
0: Yes,
1: absolutely. I thank you for having
0: me today, and. and And us having this conversation, a much needed conversation. I truly, truly appreciate you and I wanna tell you to continue doing amazing things, continue to go on your platform, to be in one of those platforms that, you know, women can come and be transparent, um, and share their stories and and just talk about different things that they're they've gone through and how they're being impactful. You just continue to thrive sis continue
1: to thrive. You're doing amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you everyone for tuning in to Life Her Podcast, where we help heal women all over the world. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Life Her Podcast, and check out our YouTube page as well. And make sure you subscribe. You can also look onto our website and you can purchase merchandise and listen to the podcast episodes. I am Yvette Lloyd. I am Life Her. Love yourself, ladies. Take care of yourself and others you love dearly.